Good morning, church. How are we all today? How many of you heard the good news that the Ethiopian Prime Minister won the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize? Isn't that exciting? That's one exciting thing that happened over this week, and I urge all of you to keep him in, in your prayers. He is such a good leader that God has given us uh, for such a time as this, so I urge you that you keep him in your prayers. Glory be to God. We missed church last week. We uh, went to Sydney. We were invited to the Ethiopian church down there to minister to them. Uh, I've heard that those of you who knew we were going did pray for us, and I even received a text message from Ian, which was uh, a good uh, gesture and and a prayer from him as well. So the Lord gave us a really good time down there. On Saturday, there was a parents' youth uh, meeting, and then on Sunday morning, there were two morning services, one youth service, and a second one was the congregation. It's, it's a much smaller congregation than our church here, but the Lord gave us a, a really good time uh, in there. On, on Saturday, I, I said one thing to parents with respect to their responsibilities to their children. So there was this parents' uh, youth meeting, and I said to them that their primary responsibility towards their sons and daughters is to make them the disciples of Christ. That's the best and the the most important obligation or responsibility that parents have towards their children. The best gift that you can give your children is Christ. It's not money, it's not a house, it's not a car, it's not a college tuition fee, it's Christ. If you give them Christ, then they are set up for life. So the Lord highlighted this scripture in my heart to share with them. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, there is the story of this woman who was the the wife of one of the prophets. And her husband died. She had two sons. And now creditors came to take her sons as slaves. Now they owed a, a huge amount, a huge sum of money to these creditors. But this mother had nothing. Save for a little oil in her house, she literally had nothing. So there are creditors standing at her door, ready to take her two sons as slaves. Now you can can imagine how desperate of a situation that would be for a mother. Her husband just died, and creditors are now standing at her doors to take her two sons as slaves. But then thank God for the wisdom that is in mothers. She located a solution, and that solution was to go to the prophet of God at the time, the prophet Elisha, and she went there and she discussed her problem with him, and he asked her, what did you have in your house? She said, I had a little oil. And then he, he, he told her to go to her neighbors, gather all, and borrow as many jars as she could, and she borrowed as many jars, came back to her house with her children, locked the doors behind them, and they began pouring out the small oil that they had to the number of jars that they borrowed from, from the neighbors. And it so happened that as they poured the little oil that they had, it was filling up all the jars that they borrowed from all her neighbors. So the Lord told me this. She was able to rescue her sons and her, her two sons from slavery because of the anointing. She connected them 
with an anointing that was ever flowing. And at the end of the day, they were able to go out and sell those oils and pay the, the creditors. And then even after that, they had plenty of oil to, to, to live from. There is, I have a good news that there is a greater and mighty anointing in the Lord Jesus than that existed in the, in, the, in, the, in the life of Elisha. So in order to save our children from whatever it is that tries to enslave them today, there are a number of things that try to enslave our sons and daughters today. There are a number of creditors standing by the door ready to enslave our sons and daughters. It could be the social media. It could be the phones in, in their hands. It could be the classrooms, it could be the education, it could be the government's policy. But if you can connect them with the anointing in Christ Jesus, then that could save them. And then that could deliver them. This was the most important uh, lesson that I shared with the parents down in Sydney. And like I said, the Lord really gave us a, a good time. Back to this morning, we are continuing our a series of teaching on one anothering, one another. For those of you joining us today, I believe this is the ninth on this series. We are looking at scriptures where the Bible talks about how we are supposed to handle one another, how we are supposed to engage and uh, relate one uh, with another. And the first topic we saw was encouraging another, and we saw serving one another, accepting one another, praying for one another, hosting one another, honoring one another, forgiving one another, and the last week we saw loving one another. I hope I have not missed any, any topic. And this morning we are looking at bearing one another's burdens. Our leading scripture for today will be from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. If it's displayed, I would like us to read it all together. One, two, three, go. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I looked at the Greek word for the term law, and it's nomos. And this is translated to mean a general principle or usage that is observed. So bearing one another's burdens was a general principle according to which Jesus Christ conducted his life. That was a usage, a custom in his life. It's the general principle according to which Christ conducted his life while he was on the earth and which I believe he still observes today. And that is why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me all you who, are, who labor and are heavy, burden, heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now, did you know what Christ did to those burdens that he lifted up from people's lives? He carried it himself to the cross. He lifted it off from their shoulders, and he laid it on himself and took that to the cross, and, and he, 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 he accomplished that mission. So he lifted up the weight of sin when he forgave those sinners. He lifted up the weight of sickness and disease when he healed the sick. He lifted up the weight of oppression as he cast out demons and evil spirits from people's life. He casted out, he, he, he lifted up the burden of discrimination and ostracization when he touched the lepers with his hands, when he sat beside Sawel and spoke with a Samaritan woman, and when he conversed with sinners, scribes, and Pharisees. 
So Jesus has perfectly demonstrated the kind of life that God wants us to live, a life that bears one another's burdens. Now, I want to lay the foundation for this message by looking at the analogy of a construction site. I want to use this analogy to show you what it really means to bear one another's burden and why we need to bear one another's burden and also how we can fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burden. Here is the first point, and I have a slide for you. The body of Christ is a site under construction. In 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 4 to 5, we are told, here Peter says, coming to him as a living stone. He's talking about coming to Christ. Coming to him as, a live, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, are living, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Again, Paul also speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, and he says, For we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field, you are God's building. We really need to, to be honest about one thing as Christians. On one level, we all are undergoing a spiritual construction in our own lives. We start this journey the moment we come to meet with Christ Jesus, the wonderful Lord Jesus, because he is the door of the sheep. He is the way. He is the entrance. He is the gate. And it is through him that we enter this construction site. And it is upon the foundation of Christ's life that we begin to build our own lives. And it is in reference to Christ being the cornerstone that we align our lives. So we are being built. We are undergoing a construction. We are being built to become the house of God. We are being built to house the Holy Spirit within us. But this not only applies to you. Turn and look at the person sitting next to you. This also applies to that fellow believer sitting next to you. He is also under construction. So don't expect him to be that perfect guy, that perfect lady. They are not yet finished. They are undergoing a construction as well. So apart from you yourself being under construction, we are all simultaneously being built as part of a larger body, which we call the body of Christ or the church. So a construction site is one of the busiest places. Now, I'm not an engineer. I haven't been much to a construction site, but I have this general knowledge about these construction sites that they are not a pleasant place to be in. It's generally chaotic, too much noise, too much dirt, too many movements, dirt and debris running around. That's why we, when you enter a construction site, you are required to have your personal protective equipment on. You can't just enter a construction site. So there could be pushings and shovings. And there could be accidents. It's not a pleasant place to be in. But no matter how chaotic a construction site or construction premise may be, we all understand that there is a bigger purpose. There is a bigger picture there in the site that when what is going on during the busy time than what is going on during the busy time of its construction. 
Therefore, to achieve that bigger purpose of having the final outcome, the final uh, building, everyone involved within that construction site works together. They work in coordination with one another. They are not in competition against each other, but they support each other. They work together in unison. And the Christian life is the same. I have the second slide for you here, which says that the Christian life is not a competition. We are not in a competition against each other. Isn't that a good choice of a picture? We are not in a competition against one another to show ourselves approved before God. This, the Christian life is not a life where your success depends on someone's failure. It's not a life where your score in righteousness is measured against the righteousness of other fellow Christians. It's rather a life where we are all being built up together as the body of Christ to become like Christ himself. When I prepared for this message, I had this vivid picture of two Christs. One is Christ himself. The other Christ is the body of Christ, which is called the church, to which we are all members of that body. So in order for this final body of Christ, which is called the church, to be like the very person of Christ, each and every member of that body counts. It's like a puzzle that is fixed together to bear the final image of Christ. Here is Christ, and here is the other perfect image of Christ, which is the church. And in order for this final body of Christ to be like Christ himself, each member of that body has to bear the image and the mark of Christ. Meaning when someone sees me, he has to see a piece of Christ. And then when, he, when someone sees Pam, he has to see another piece of Christ. And then when each and every one of us come together, there is the perfect image of Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's why when we go out into the world, if people are meeting with us, they have to see something about Christ. That's why when they saw Peter, they said, you look like someone who has been with that, with that rabbi, with that leader, with Christ. Because the way he spoke, the way he communicated with them, even while he was denying Christ, there was something about him that, that kind of like looked like Christ. So they said, they noted, you look like someone who has been with Christ. The third point the Christian life is also not one of solitude, where you try to make it on your own. It's not a life where you carve yourself out of the rest of the world. Rather, the Christian life is one of membership. All Christians belong to one family in Christ. We all have one Father, God, from whom the whole families in heaven and earth are named. Therefore, if we belong to this one body that is under construction, and we, and we are members of one another and that we are not in competition against one another, then that means we are supposed to work together and bear one another's burdens. Now, when we talk about bearing one another's burden, if you look at a person who is with a burden, there are usually two kinds of persons around that person. There are the Jesus type of people who, who want to stoop down and help, who want to encourage him. They have this heart of the Lord and they take pleasure in carrying your burden, risking their lives to yours, sacrificing their time and money to come to your aid 
and so on. They are eager to help you. A few weeks ago, Ri was sharing us uh, her, her own testimony of how she came to the Lord, how she came to church, and, it, and how the Lord gave her a number of people around her who were willing to carry her burdens during that time. So she was talking about Andrew Beachy calling her every Sunday morning and encouraging her to come to church. It must have been difficult to, 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 to call every, every Sunday to someone who was, not, who was saying, no, I'm not interested to, call, to come to church. But he was bearing her burden at the time, even though she did not realize what she was missing out on, but there was someone to carry her burdens. And look where we are now. God has given us a wonderful preacher and teacher because there was someone to carry her burdens during the times when she was not able to do that. And then there are the Pharisees type of people who see no obligation whatsoever to bear another person's burdens. They regard themselves highly and consider themselves to be in a superior spiritual position. The Pharisees of Jesus' time, as you know, were hypocrites. They think they know the things of God, but they are far away from it. They are filled with an intellectual knowledge of the law, but they have no idea about the heart of God. Their eyes, therefore, become re- becomes red when Jesus heals a person on a Sabbath. They are much more keen to the law than to salvation, than to the heart of God. Which type of person are you? Are you the Jesus kind of person or are you the Pharisee type of person? I want to highlight one particular story from the Bible, from the Old Testament, which highlights what we are talking about here, about bearing one another's burdens. Now, Pam mentioned a few weeks ago the story of King Saul and, and, and David in the context of how David was a, a God-honoring person and how David was a person who honored the Lord's anointing. Now, I want to take this same story of the life of Saul and show you the kinds of people that he was surrounded with. Now, King Saul is one of the person I sympathize with from the Bible. It, it breaks my heart to see how he started his ministry, and how he ended his, his life. It breaks my heart to see his start and, and his end. And I see that one of the reasons was the kind of people he was surrounded with. Now, first thing first, Saul was, this is King Saul, the first king of Israel. He was a king that God anointed for Israel after they requested the prophet Samuel, to to give them a king. Now, God was not initially happy with their request for a king, but nevertheless, he he appointed a king for them. And it was also the purpose of God to establish Saul's kingdom over Israel forever. That was God's original intention for this fellow. Now, God wanted him to succeed. He wanted him to become the kind of king that David later came to be. He filled him with his spirit. He changed his heart. He gave him victory in his first battle against the Ammonites. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, after Saul transgressed by making an unlawful sacrifice, now the prophet Samuel came and said to him, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That was God's plan for his life. God wanted to establish Saul's kingdom over Israel forever. 
Now, instead of Jesus being called the son of David, probably it would have been, he would have been called the son of Saul. God's purpose was to establish his kingdom forever. I would also like to make another point clear here. The Bible also makes it clear that the fall of Saul was a result of his own disobedience and his own sins against God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 10, from verse 13 to 14, the Bible declares explicitly that Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium of guidance. So I don't want you to be confused that what I'm going to talk about, about the people that were surrounding Saul as contributing to, to his fall does not mean that it was their responsibility. The Bible makes it clear that Saul died, that Saul fell from grace because of his own unfaithfulness, because of his own sin. But from the very beginning, the support of the people to this king whom God appointed was divided. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, from verse 26 to 27, we read, And Saul also went home to Gibeah. This is after he was appointed king. And valiant men went with him, whose heart God had touched. But some some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. Now, it's amazing how the children of Israel were eager to have a king appointed over them. But once they have it, some of them despised him. He is to be the first king of the nation of Israel. They have not had an earthly king before before Saul, so he was to be the first king. And you can imagine how much support he would need to establish the kingdom, the rules of the kingdom, and so on. But Saul did not have that base of support that was needed in order for him to fulfill the plans that God has for his life. So first, there were these rebels who despised him, and they did not honor him. And then the people of Israel also frequently turned away from him. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, in the face of an oncoming army of the Philistines, they turned away from him. And this was one of the reasons why Saul made that rash decision to to make an unlawful sacrifice for the Lord. But on the other hand, thank God, there were also people who went all the way to bear Saul's burdens and to stand with him and to stand beside him and and to serve him in, in times of need. These people were with him not only in times of his success and glamour, but, but also, most importantly, in times of his struggle. And one such person was David. I sometimes wonder if Saul would have succeeded or if Saul would have made it if David was one of the persons who initially joined his army or if he had a few, a few more people around him with the same attitude as David that David had to the Lord's anointing and to the Lord's anointed one. So David obeyed Saul. He served him. He fought his battles. He played an instrument when Saul was tormented by evil spirits. He was such a dedicated servant. He honored King Saul. He, just like the God who appointed King Saul, 
David also wanted to serve him. He also wanted him to succeed. He also wanted him to be his right hand. So wherever he sent him, he went and fought and won his battles and brought the spoils of war to King Saul. He also spared Saul's life, though King Saul himself had tried to kill David so many times. And he also rebuked Saul's guards for not being vigilant enough in protecting King Saul. There were too many occasions where King David, he was not king at the time, where David, he was, he was anointed, it was prophesied over him that he would become a king, but he was not yet the king. But too many times he had that privilege of killing King Saul, and at those moments and times, those who were supposed to keep an eye on their king, King Saul, were also sleeping on, on the roads. So David rebuked Saul's guards. He rebuked them for not being vigilant enough in guarding their king. You can see his heart, how he honored the Lord's anointed one. He did not want to do, he did not want to have anything to do with the fall of Saul. Instead, he wanted him to succeed. He is the kind of person that you would want to have in your life besides you, someone who wants to encourage you, someone who bears your burden and pushes you forward to your success, someone who pushes you to Christ, someone who encourages you in your down times. That was the kind of guy David was to King Saul, even though King Saul was not good to David. And all of this David did under circumstances where Saul was actively seeking to destroy David. Now he had heard David has been anointed. So he was chasing him city after city, town after town, and trying to kill him. But even in this midst of circumstances, David had the heart, the heart of Christ, which was manifested in him. Now another group of people that stood with Saul were called the people of Jabesh Gilead. How oh, I love these people. I fell in love with these people a few months ago, after the Lord showed me how they revered the anointed one of the Lord. The story of the people of Jabesh Gilead first starts in, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, where the king of Ammon, he threatened to invade and destroy these people called the people of Jabesh Gilead. Now, they were in such a desperate situation because when they asked the king of Ammon that they would willingly surrender to him and that they would pay their dues and taxes, the king of Ammon was not satisfied with that. He said, I will enter into a covenant with you, but I will take the right eyes of everyone in your city and I will bring reproach to Israel. So you can see how a desperate circumstance, a desperate situation, this is for the, for the people of Jabesh Gilead. So now, the people of Jabesh Gilead then said, just give us seven days. We are going to send for help to the, to the king of Israel. And if no help comes, then you can come and invade the city. So they sent a message to King Saul, to the children of Israel, to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then King Saul comes and he rescues them from the Ammonites. That is the first time that we hear about these people called the people of Jabesh Gilead. So they were rescued by, by Saul in time of their need. 
But the story that I want to get to this morning is found in 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is a time when Saul had already died. His sons have been killed. The Philistines are waging active wars against the children of Israel. And there is this amazing heroic story of what happened, what the children of Jabesh Gilead did. So I will read 1 Samuel chapter 31 from verse 7 to 13. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. This is another instance where the children of Israel abandoned their king Saul. There was another time when they turned away from battle in the face of an oncoming Philistine, uh, the Philistine army, and they abandoned Saul. And this is another time when Saul and his sons were dead, and again the children of Israel forsook the cities and they fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim in it the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the, Ash, the Ashtorets and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Verse 11. I love this verse. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. I just want to stop here. And I just want you, I just want to get this verse into your spirit. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Here you have the people of Jabesh Gilead whom King Saul rescued yesterday. He rescued them in times of his glory. He was there to assist them. He was there to help them. He was there to deliver them out of the hands of the Ammonites who wanted to take out their right eyes. This was a king who served them. He, this was a king who stood by them in their times of need. And now the story is flipped. Saul is dead. He is no longer alive. His three sons were slain together with him. Their heads were beheaded, and they were fastened on the wall of Bethshan. Now these people of Jabesh Gilead heard, they heard what the enemy had done to the Lord's anointed. Let's continue. All the valiant men arose, and they traveled all night, and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh, and they burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. I'm going to call the band to come as we prepare to close. Look at these people, the Jabesh Gilead, the people of Jabesh Gilead. Look at their hearts. Look at how they honored the Lord's anointed. 
Look at how they risked their own lives to, to rescue a dead king, a king who is no longer alive, a, a, king who even the, who, a king who is even abandoned by his own people, the children of Israel. When they heard what the enemy had done to the Lord's anointed. Church, what did you do when you heard? What did you do when you heard a brother in Christ was backing away from church? What did you do when someone was going far away from the Lord? What did you do when you heard? I have a last slide here. This this picture is the story of the three sons of Noah. After the flood, there is the story of Noah uh, planting seeds and growing uh, vines and grapes. And, and there came a time when he was so drunk and naked. And one of his sons came and saw his father's nakedness and he despised him and he mocked him. But then there were two other sons who brought garments and cloth with them. And they never saw their father's uh, nakedness, but they really honored their father and they had to walk backwards to cover their father's nakedness. What kind of person do you want to be? The Jesus kind of person who will cover the nakedness of your brothers and sisters, who will stoop down to carry the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus? Or do you want to be the kind of person, the Pharisees who wants to stand and, and be a hypocrite and, and criticize and, and say this and that? Do you want to be like the Israelites that abandoned their king and fled for their own lives? Or do you want to have the heart of Christ like David and like the people of Jabesh Gilead who would be willing to risk their own lives to save the Lord's anointing, to stand behind, to stand besides those persons who need our help. May the Lord help us. May the Lord give us this grace. May the Lord give us this heart of David. May the Lord give us the heart of the people of Jabesh Gilead so that we will be in it to fight for our brothers and sisters, so that we will be there to fight for our brothers and sisters until we see them standing firm in the Lord, until we see them restored, until we see them back in track, back in track, running their race and, and, and be, being strengthened to run the race in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Take a moment to speak to the Lord and, and ask him for, for this heart, a new heart, to create in us a new heart. David prayed, create in me a new heart. Let God give us this heart of the Lord. The scripture has told us, bear one another's burdens, and by doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ. This is the heart of Christ, that we be there for one another. This is the heart of Christ, that we bear one another's burdens. Ask the Lord to give you this heart. Ask the Lord to increase this anointing on you. Like I said, we are not in competition against one another. We are members of one body. 
and the body is not moving until every one of us is moving. The body will not progress until each of us are making a progress. The body will not succeed until each of us are succeeding. That's why we need to be there for one another. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray this morning. We lift up our eyes to you. We lift up our hearts to you, Lord. And we pray that you would create in us a new heart, that you would create in us a heart like yours, a heart like David's, a heart like the people of Jabesh Gilead, Lord. Give us a heart so that we will be able to bear one another's burden. Give us a heart so that we will be able to see our brothers and sisters just like you see them. Give us a heart, Lord, that we will be there for our brothers and sisters in times of needs. Give us a heart, Lord, that will encourage our brothers and sisters to make it in life, to make it in this Christian walk, to make it in this Christian journey, so that they would succeed in fulfilling the plans and purposes that God has for their lives. We know that we are not perfect, Lord. We know that we know that we are under construction. We know that we are being built towards becoming a perfect image of Christ. And we ask that this grace would flow into our hearts, that this grace would, would flow into our soul, that this grace would flow into our minds and hearts, Lord. Give us the heart of David that honors the Lord's anointed. Give us a heart of the Jabesh Gilead people so that we will be there to fight on the side of our brothers and sisters whenever they need us. Holy Spirit, we know that the house of God is not built by power, nor by might, but by your spirit. That's why we ask for your grace. That's why we ask that you would dwell in our hearts and that you would make us like Christ, bearing one another's burden being there for one another, helping one another, carrying one another in our prayers and supplications, carrying one another in our helps and assistance, carrying one another, Lord, in all that we are supposed to do. And we pray this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that as we all become one, another, one another's helper, so that as we all become one another's burden bearer, the body of Christ will become perfect, much more perfect than it is now. Lord, thank you for the grace that is being poured out right now. Thank you for the grace that is being released right now upon our church. Make this church a church where we are there for one another. Make this church a church where everybody feels like there is someone who is able to carry their burdens just as you have carried our burdens Lord so let us be become like you and stoop down to carry the burdens of one another in the name of Jesus Christ we pray Amen <laughs>